0: Episode 199 and a half, The Bowery Boys, Behind the Scenes.
1: Hey, it's The Bowery Boys.
0: Hey. Support for The Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Boys.
1: Hi there, welcome to The Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. We're doing a self-reflective experiment here by design, of course, if you're looking at your podcast feed, you're wondering, hmm, shouldn't this be episode 200? Well, since 200 is a very, very big deal and for us, well, for us and we we're planning on doing an extraordinary topic, we wanted to spend a little bit more time in our research and production process. And on top of that, we've got a book coming up. Indeed.
0: There are so many things that we're celebrating over here this very week. Uh, We handed in the second draft, which is basically the final draft of the book, and we're right around the corner from episode 200. So we thought we would just stop and put out a very special episode of The Bowery Boys in which we take a moment to stop and look back at the previous 99 episodes. Maybe we won't be going through all of those, (laughs) um, but just to sort of stop and reflect about New York history as it's been told on this show. And to give people who are new listeners, because we know that there are some new listeners out there, give them some direction about some episodes that they might want to tune into, because I think Greg and I will be quizzing each other about the very (laughs) best of those 99.
1: Yes, we will, in fact, be curating our own back catalog for you. Also in this show, we want to give you a formal introduction to our book that's coming out this spring, The Adventures in Old New York. We'll be talking about uh, the book, but also how
0: it was made. How do you take a history of New York and put it into a book in a way that's different from the other ones that are already out there?
1: So we'll walk you through the story, the behind the scenes of the book before it hits bookstores this spring. And for the grand finale, in fact, the final words of the podcast, Mm. although don't fast forward, the final words of the podcast, we will reveal the subject of episode 200
0: which is all really like full of suspense or incredibly <laughs> self-indulgent.
1: So, if you haven't guessed already, this is a more this will be a more podcasty type podcast than perhaps what we usually do. It's a big grab bag, but we think you'll enjoy it especially if you've been a listener of the Barry Boys. So, join us as we take you behind the scenes of the Barry Boys.
0: All right, Greg. Well, the first section of today's show is about the book, which is called The Bowery Boys' Adventures in Old New York, coming out this May of 2016 and published by Ulysses Press. Greg, maybe you could situate the listener a little bit just about what this book
1: is. Like, what are we even talking about? What's the scope of this book? Well, of course, because that topic seems quite large, doesn't it? The Adventures in Old New York. Well, this is not a conventional history book at all. In a way, it's sort of curated history and we're your guides through that history in the same way, in the same fashion that the podcast is. So we decided to focus on particular eras of New York that have been very popular on the show and things that have been our strengths in the show. So that mostly resides in New York City before 1910, 1920, up to like the Depression era and everything everything before that.
0: And I think that we should point out a rather obvious fact here that we're really telling the history of Manhattan Island from tip to top. So Mm -hmm. from Battery Park all the way up to the top of Manhattan. Why did we decide to stick just to Manhattan?
1: Well, uh, because it's until 1898... That is New York. You know, Brooklyn was a separate city, and the other boroughs had not been formed as an official greater. New York at that right. time. We also, you know, when we, we wanted to, to focus the story because if we had tackled all of New York City in the method in which we handle the subject, which I'll explain in a minute, this book would be about 2,000 pages, right? Right. And
0: so- there are some great history books out there that are about 2,000 pages <laughs> that,
1: that tackle uh, the city's history as well. But that goes back to my original point of us kind of being your guides through history. So that something about the book needed to be portable, even though, you know, you don't have to actually be in New York to read this at all. In fact, if we've done our job, we will transport you to these places through our own words and descriptions. The other four boroughs will be featured in the book, but uh, the main focus here will be Manhattan. So
0: one of the challenges that I know that we faced immediately, because uh, Ulysses Press came to us a year ago and Mm -hmm. asked us uh, to work with them on a book. And we looked at each other. Um, I can't remember which, which show we were working on at the time. It was last March. Uh, so uh, around the time that we came out with the Little Italy show, I believe. So back it last February or March. And we went into their offices and talked about writing this book. But it just seemed so massive, you know, as, mm-hmm. as a project and as two people how to produce this book. And so we came up with a strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the whole idea of podcasters creating books. I mean, a lot of famous podcasts do have books, some of them more successful than others. Such as, like, Grammar Girl? Yes, like, Grammar Girl is actually, like, it's a great transition to a book. I mean, it makes sense, right? And very easy to edit, too. <laughs> There better not be any spelling mistakes in that one. We might be able to get away with one or two, but not Grammar Girl. You know, but it's still a challenge because what a podcast denotes is personality in conversation. And this show is based on history as revealed through conversation. So how on earth do you do that as a book? And,
0: well, though, come on, don't sell yourself short because... As the listener knows, you're also the writer behind the Bowery Boys blog, so so there's a lot of writing there, but that's much more personal. That's coming from you in in your first-person voice, so this was a bit tricky to figure out how to collaborate on this and make it sound like the same tone of the show, But we couldn't actually put dialogue in (laughs) there.
1: Right. Well, so, and the other, you know, the other trick here was we go through history on this podcast by subjects, right? By places, by people, by events. If you literally put that verbatim into a book, it would feel kind of like a hodgepodge, right? Of just sort of like disembodied subjects that sat right next to each other. That works as a list of podcasts.
0: You mean like we can jump from Orchard Street to the Flatiron building?
1: Yeah, exactly. In Something the span like of two that. Weeks. Yeah. So that would be a little tricky in a book and a little disorienting and I can't imagine too appealing, right? So we needed to come up with a three- through- Well, unless line. it was, I'm sorry, unless oh. it was a collection of stories. You know, it and, was and, Sure, yeah. You and could, that could do that.
0: And it could have been that. So this is a neighborhood-by-neighborhood neighborhood history, from the base of Manhattan to the top, and each neighborhood has a couple focus uh, or features in it and then a, about 20 or so points of history. These are places that are historically relevant Sometimes very famous and
1: sometimes often overlooked. The key focusing component here with this book, as we put it together, is what you just mentioned: neighborhoods. So it's right. actually, in a way, it's a book about twenty-five characters, and those characters are neighborhoods. Now, granted, we're we're taking some liberties, and actually, we're clumping some neighborhoods together because there's very small neighborhoods that mm-hmm. that get bound together. But if you which, look at- which neighborhoods did we clump? Well, for instance, Washington Heights and Inwood and Sugar Hill all get clumped together because they are they reside in upper Manhattan. So they have similarities in their stories, mm-hmm. right? And didn't Chinatown and Little Italy get clumped together? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's almost impossible to divide the two. The, the stories are right. intertwined, right? So 25 chapters. And the way that we wrote this is that you wrote the first draft
0: uh, and then passed it on to me to edit. So you were out on the city hunting these points of history down. Which neighborhood, uh, I have to ask, proved to be the most challenging?
1: Well, there were certain neighborhoods that surprised me Mm -hmm. that maybe I hadn't given a lot of thought that we haven't actually spent a lot of time on in this podcast. Like Tribeca actually has an extraordinary history. And I feel like it's spent that much time. I guess we haven't, have we? No, I mean there's so there's uh, there's so many interesting stories and the architecture over there is so fascinating and how it connects with the whole city is actually very very pivotal. But it's a quote unquote quiet neighborhood when you compare it to say Times Square or mm-hmm. the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Now the Lower East Side is probably one of my favorite chapters too because again once you take this particular focus, which is old New York, but you put our perspective on it as people who have actually lived there, I was really able to look at these places that I had seen for years and find these brand new stories. And this was sort of the crux of us doing the Barry Boys podcast anyway, right? The idea of like, we wanted to tell stories to change people's perspective on the city that they visited and lived in. And we did a show, number
0: 183, on Orchard Street and Life on the Lower East Side. That was in the end of May mm-hmm. last year. I, th- if Correct me if I'm wrong here, but weren't you writing the chapter at the same time yeah. that we did that book? So we were trying to line these up.
1: Yeah, so we didn't do that for the whole year last year, but that one was a great example of where it kind of lined up with the book. Now, I, I'm sorry, I skipped your question. Most right. challenging, what was my question? The, the most challenging neighborhood, I'd right. say. Um, you know, it's... I'd have to maybe it's a tie between something like the upper east side mm-hmm. maybe it's all the east side actually the upper east side and then gr- the gramercy park murray hill area That was challenging. I thought that chapter came out well. Oh, I think I think it came out well but it was you, each of these neighborhoods as hopefully will be revealed have a particular personality, or maybe two or three personalities. Maybe they are they have multiple personalities, right? But it, I think it, we, I just had to drill down a little bit further to figure out what the personality of, say, Murray Hill really was, right. especially when you're looking at something a 100 years ago.
0: Right, because we're not talking about Murray Hill today, um, mm-hmm. or even Drag King Murray Hill. We're talking... <laughs> no. We, we were talking... It'd be awesome if we did, though. <laughs> um. Because, really, we took history up till 1920s and 30s with maybe a, a reference to something, if it was really important, that happened in the past couple decades. So, in talking about the East Side, we were talking about Revolutionary War history. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about early uh, colonial history when it was, you know, outside of the city the ever-present narrative of the the city marching northward mm-hmm. after the commissioner's plan. <laughs> I think we had to keep coming up with new ways.
1: <laughs> grid plan. The, plan the, the ice tray plan. No, I don't think we actually used that as a uh, phrase. So, I was
0: into stamping of the grid <laughs> at some point. Uh, the, so there's the- a
1: lot of grid in this. but So, for instance, the Upper East Side is a, an area of extraordinary multiple personalities because you have – the wealthy Fifth Avenue mansions, and then you have the German neighborhood of Yorkville. And then, of course, you have the beginnings of East Harlem. But our particular focus in that chapter is actually something that's not really considered part of any of that in terms of sort of its historical connection, and that is, of course, Gracie Mansion. Right, so not so obvious. So Tom actually focused on food or specific sort of styles of food that are famous in New York City, right? right. Old school restaurants
0: and bars and pizzerias and things like that. These are sort of pull-out features in the book
1: called Taste of History. So what was your, like, I mean, I, that sounds like a lot of fun to research. <laughs> <laughs> and you it doesn't seem like you've gained a lot of weight. <laughs> since. I know then. how to mask it well. <laughs> but what was your Billowy favorite? clothing, you see.
0: <laughs> What was your favorite part of that? It goes without saying that I had fun researching uh, the pizza for the history of pizza and favorite pizzerias. A highlight of that being the, the tour that I was given of Lombardi's kitchen and getting to see the old oven, uh, the old coal fire mm-hmm. oven that, that they still use to fire up their pizzas. And also wandering around some of the big old-fashioned restaurants in Midtown, from Sardi's to the Russian Tea Room to the Oyster Bar. Right. You know, there are these fabulous places that I think we sometimes overlook because, or we write off some of them as overtly touristy. Yeah,
1: I mean, they're, they're not places that we would, you know, go in for a date necessarily. But these restaurants have direct connections hmm. to the old days of New York. So if you want to both... See, feel, and taste old New York. These places are still around. One last thing I wanted to ask you, and then we'll wrap this up. One big element here that we haven't even addressed are the photos. There are mm-hmm. going to be hundreds of photos <laughs> yes, in this book. so It's daunting, and I want to thank our publisher, Ulysses Press, for allowing us to have all of these images. Uh, many of them, I would say, most of them, are actually from the 19th century. Right, and so you were researching, hunting down these photos in various archives, all over the place. Things that you know we, that we could use that were in the public domain, but that uniquely illustrated things that were in the book.
0: Let me ask um, for anybody else who's listening. Who might be working on their own history project? Uh, where can you go to find old photos of New York that you can use in projects?
1: Well, there's, um, I mean, thank God we live in an age where there are these huge collections of online archives, anything from like Wiki Commons, for instance. The Library of Congress is, of course, a valuable resource as well. And now, a special thanks to the New York Public Library, who just offered up a whole host of public domain images. You can now go to their website and search specifically on uh, public domain, mm-hmm. and they encourage you to uh, to use these for publication, to distort them, to remix them, to do whatever <laughs> you want. Um, and so that has been an absolute godsend for this book, I'd have to say. And so. We will continue to thank the New York Public Library over and over throughout the next few months. Indeed, we will. But you were also out there with the camera snapping photos yourself. Sure, I saw yeah, you. yeah, 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 there's some original photography. And I have to thank my sister because she got me this really nice camera at a Black Friday sale and she she went to a Walmart and she like stood in line for 4 hours and they only had like 6 cameras i think she may have gotten into a fight she may have had to claw <laughs> her way through crowds to get this camera so uh, you, so so it's uh, thanks to Tamara for that so
0: <laughs> and thanks for letting us uh, tell you a little bit about this book and the process of putting it together the book is called The Bowery Boys Adventures in Old New York It comes out in May of 2016, published by Ulysses Press and available at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon, of course, even right now for pre-order. We will be having some events in New York that we're really excited about. We're putting the finishing touches on one, a big launch party. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the website, BoweryBoysHistory.com and sign up for the newsletter, uh, we will be letting people know about that
1: when we have those details finalized. And now we're going to turn our attention to the last 100 episodes as we build up to our big 200th episode. The which reveal. We'll re- yes, which we'll reveal at the end of the show and then we'll release in a couple weeks. We wanted to look back fondly upon the last 99 episodes. So we're going to go through that list and give you some little insights and secrets of, even about some of the recording and also talk about the ones that were the best received. Um, the ones that the are biggest a- hits and the yeah. biggest flops. <laughs> (laughs) And the personal favorites of ours. We will reveal all of this and more after the commercial break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On April 19th, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values
0: In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans. Our values, our struggles... I have before me these three sheets of paper uh-huh. <laughs> uh, listing our past
1: ninety-nine shows, so, going back to episode one hundred one. Right, I, so so every show since one hundred, which was on Robert Moses, right,
0: which is a great show. And do you know what? Do you know the date of the Robert Moses show?
1: <laughs> I'm frightened to even place a guess. It was in March, March nineteenth, two thousand ten. So six so years ago. six years of podcasts we're about to. We're about to ruminate on here. (laughs) So the Robert
0: Moses show was a big one for us, and I think that that was the first time that we hit an hour... Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: it was we like so we'd...
0: long-winded back
1: then. <laughs> I mean, that was a r- incredibly huge topic, and we're very proud of that show, and it, it, it continues to be one of our most listened to and enjoyed. I think.
0: Well, I I don't know about enjoyed, but it's listened to. <laughs> That's true, and it's it's pretty I important. I mean, and he is obviously one of the big figures, um, and we'll be coming back to him in a few minutes here. So, a couple months after the Robert Moses show. We did our first mini series which mm-hmm. was a mini
1: series in the summer of 2010 on transportation. And we you know we didn't tackle things like taxi until many many years afterwards but what was interesting about that is we did it in a sort of sort of chronological way because we started with the Staten Island ferry so I, that was a solo show so I got to talk about the earliest forms of transportation, not to mention
0: Vanderbilt, mm-hmm.
1: and then get into the elevated
0: railways, which were the precursors to the subway.
1: After that, there was a another solo show, a quirky show about cable cars and monorails. But then monorail, monorail. monorail. But then after that comes, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, the number one most downloaded Bowery Boys podcast of all time, which is not surprising, which is the first part of our New York City subway show. There is so much interest in the history of the subway. We should return to that as a subject, but...
0: Well, it was the most downloaded of that year. Continues to be the most downloaded of 2010. Mm -hmm.
1: In 2010, we also finally, I don't know why it just took us so long, finally did a show on Times Square, which endures... Um, I think a lot of people who are visiting New York for the first time and are just looking for something to listen to about New York, I think a lot of people go to that one, that show first. And that was fun because
0: the history of Times Square is not just Broadway theaters. It's not just the New York Times office, uh, but also the the great hotels and the restaurants, the lobster
1: palaces (laughs) that surrounded the square. I mean, the, the era of Times Square history that I am the most fascinated in is actually this... Era, right after it got named Times Square for the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, until about 1930 when it really became this huge mecca where it's when it's still trying to find itself. So, for instance, you had like automobile dealerships mm-hmm. that were there for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, Which made
0: sense because it had been Longacre Square yeah. before the Times building opened in 1904
1: and was the center of the carriage making mm-hmm. industry and some of that lingers west of times square it's it's amazing when you go visit those car dealerships that are in far hell's kitchen 11th avenue yeah are a, a kind of a remnant right. of of that industry of kind of like where it ended up today
0: not to mention the
1: the whips and saddles along the gay bars <laughs> on 9th avenue <laughs> What I also like about the, that old Times Square period, like from 1910, 1920s, 1930s, it's before, of course, Times Square is inundated with electric signs, mm-hmm. right? So it's just the look of the They were feel. starting. Oh, they were definitely starting, and they were a great many, right? Because then the movie theaters and the Broadway theaters had to compete with these electronic signs. So it went completely ballistic by the 1940s. But I mean, that to me is the favorite my favorite moment of Times Square history. Ballistic by the 1940s. Then how
0: would you describe what we have today? Because it's even over. <laughs> it's, it's more than ballistic. Because it's hyper. It's, it's kind of an homage <laughs> to that. Right? Yes, it is. But moving on from Times Square, a few months later in 2011, you recorded a solo show.
1: A very peculiar show in light of today. In April of 2011, I recorded a short history of Trump. <laughs> and, Donald and, and you know, I mean, it wasn't done in, in a political fashion, even well, though at the he beginning was playing around with with running. Well, in yeah, 2012. I mean, the reason I think I did it is because he was like flirting with the idea of running, which he ultimately did not, at least back then. But I did talk about sort of like where his money came from, because the interesting story to me is because his father, Fred Trump, was a real estate developer and there are thousands of homes in Queens and Brooklyn that are Trump homes that were constructed in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Right. And I find that connection really interesting because because of course we think of him as a glitzy brass millionaire who only focuses on big Dynamic and luxury building. So it's like a, it's an, it was an interesting dynamic, and that was my favorite part of that show.
0: Let me ask you, Greg, how was the reaction to that show?
1: I would say it was, it was probably one of the worst received shows. Not because I think people (laughs) thought I had done a bad job, but I think they were like, we don't want to hear about this person. So I mean, we got, we really got nasty emails <laughs> yes. about that show. Probably, probably one of the worst, at least in terms of the reaction. But I still stand behind the information. I think it's an interesting show to listen to mm-hmm. in light of Politics 2016.
0: It is also one of the few shows that deals with much more recent history.
1: Oh, yeah. That goes all the way up, of course, into the 1990s and some of the the developments that he did then. However, that particular summer in 2011, we stepped all the way back 150 years and did another miniseries, a three part miniseries on New York City and the Civil War. And the the draft riot show was
0: a bit of a challenge for us because I think it was the first time that, that we tackled race in a duo show. Sure, because yeah. Because you had done one on the African burial ground. Sure, yeah. I mean, by I, that point. right. There
1: have been. You know we're always having discussions about how we can discuss these things because issues of race are embedded in new york city history and remain so today obviously
0: yes as relevant as ever in the case of the civil war draft riots you know it required it required discussing how new york was not necessarily like the rest of the the north in the lead up to the civil war and during the civil war new york had people who were union supporters, of course, but also had many people who were sympathizing with the South for many different reasons, including that businesses in New York City had economic interests uh, tied to the plantations. And
1: one of those supporters would, of course, be the subject of episode 126, Fernando Wood, the scoundrel mayor. So, a few months later after recording that show, in in fact, in March of 2012, so exactly four years ago, we did a history of the High Line, which was the elevated railroad that ran along the west side, and it's today a very popular, very beautiful park. That's interesting. That was four years ago? Mm -hmm. That was in 2012.
0: 2012. It's funny to think that so much has changed. The High Line has greatly
1: expanded since we even recorded that show. In fact we followed it up with a walking tour uh, which you could listen to while you were walking along it but that was only with two sections of it open there's a third section that has since opened and is part of the Highline today it goes
0: all the way up to the Hudson Yards development.
1: Additionally part of that walking tour is invalid today for a couple things along the walk (laughs) have now been torn down Or blocked by new, by new condos. That is the tricky thing about history, right? It <laughs> just keeps on happening. It keeps rolling along.
0: Off the top of your head, can you think of other subjects that we've recorded, Greg, that have changed?
1: That are already um, historical artifacts of their own? Well, interestingly, just a few months after that, uh, we recorded our show on Rockaway Beach. Ah, uh, yes. In the summer of 2012. That was before... That was her- odd timing. It was very, very unusual timing because, of course, then that fall came Hurricane Sandy. And so that changed and transformed the neighborhood of Rockaway Beach so much that our story and how we told it really doesn't include this major thing that has then, of course, transformed that neighborhood and that area of New York City. So anybody who would listen to a show today on
0: the history of Rockaway Beach would be Perhaps a little bit confused that we forgot to mention this major uh, neighborhood changing event, but it's only because it hadn't happened
1: yet. But what we do love about that show, it was great to do one on a neighborhood in Queens, and it's such a great place. And I would encourage people to not only go visit Rockaway Beach, but to sample that show again and get into the feel of what it used to be, because, of course, it was a little bit like Coney Island back in the day.
0: Now, you just mentioned Hurricane Sandy. Mm -hmm. Um, When Hurricane Sandy struck around Halloween of 2012, by that point, you had moved out of the Lower East Side, Mm -hmm. right? And we're were living in Brooklyn.
1: Right. I just moved to Brooklyn. I lived in Cobble Hill.
0: Over on Henry Street. Mm -hmm. And I was still on the Lower East Side. Hurricane Sandy hit and, you know, my neighborhood was without electricity for many, many days uh, during that period, you had
1: electricity in Brooklyn, and <laughs>
0: you yes. recorded a solo show about that moment in history.
1: Yeah, I made a point during that show to like literally report on what was happening at that moment because right. you still didn't have electricity. There were, I had walked down to Red Hook and had seen all of the flooding and seen people pumping out their basements. So it was—it's certainly an of the moment snapshot. But do you remember? riding your bike over to come visit me on oh, yeah. the powered side of new york city oh yeah so kind of in honor of that i mean it, it's sort of a happy accident but the next show after that because you were out of town was a solo show on the history of bicycles <laughs> in new york city the bicycle mania which was a was a, a very lighter fun, subject a lighter subject you know by the way tom doesn't this kind of feel like a clip show like this is laverne and shirley that one episode where it's like they're <laughs> no. like sitting in an elevator and they're recounting things
0: sitting at, what they're stuck in an elevator. <laughs> Yeah, or something like so that, right? Tell- or the golden girls
1: are all sort of like <laughs> hanging out on the sofa. So it's kind of like that. I would be. I would say we would be playing clips, except they would be just clips of us talking. So right. I don't think it would be an audibly dynamic thing, right? <laughs> that I- we could have some flashback music, you know, some oh, harps. Some harps. Well, p- insert some harps maybe okay. a couple times here.
0: Cue the harp. <laughs> Thanks for the harp. So the next year, in the summer of 2013, we attempted uh, another miniseries.
1: This was an industry miniseries, the history of New York City and the television industry. Not only the invention of television, which New York has played a part in, but of course the development of television shows and the rise of the networks and took it all the way up to the 1990s and of course the boom of like the Cosby (laughs) Show and Seinfeld. That's right. But
0: Greg, I just have to say We skipped over in April of 2013 We dedicated episode 150 To the story of consolidation And the formation of Mm -hmm. greater New York And we dedicated that important number to that important topic because it's something that I think many people overlook today.
1: The fact that New York was just Manhattan until 1898. I mean, I would say it's one of the most important events in New York City history, obviously, but a pretty darn important in American history because it was a story about stitching together these large cities into one gigantic metropolis and the sort of trials and tribulations of getting Brooklyn and New York City together as siblings and the creation of the other three boroughs and the sense of loss that brooklynites felt at the time you know
0: so many people didn't want to lose their identity right, right mm-hmm. to
1: to the big city across the river across the bridge now, I would say, just in my personal opinion, that mm-hmm. 2014 was, like, one of our best years because we just cranked out all these really solid shows, really hardcore topics, uh, and a variety of different ideas and stories. Wait, wait.
0: Are you saying that 2015
1: was a stinker? Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm just saying we were experimenting with all sorts of of different things. For instance... That was the year that we did Rudolph Valentino, which is interesting because he's not necessarily someone you think of in terms of New York City, Mm. but in fact his story is really fascinating. Yeah, he started his American life here, his
0: career here before he made it big as America's Latin lover in films
1: out west, but then came back here and actually died here. And of course, the most intriguing part of that whole story is the funeral that happened up in the area of Lincoln Center at Frank Campbell's funeral home, right? So it was thousands of people. The windows were smashed. It was women just as, were hysterical. Yeah, it was. It was total mayhem. This is the mid 1920s, so it's it's Jazz Age in all of its glory. I mean, this story is incredibly surprising. That was one of probably one of the most surprising episodes I think we've ever researched and recorded. But in September of 2014,
0: we recorded an episode that remains, to this day, our number one most downloaded episode. That is episode 171, The Keys to Gramercy Park. Who knew that that show, <laughs> you remember we met that morning, the morning yeah. that we recorded it, we met, I'd gotten a terrible coffee at that, like, vegan coffee place <laughs> that's over on... A $9 oh, terrible coffee. horrible. I, I, they only had, like, almond milk or something, and it was on Park Avenue South there. And then we walked around and... Uh, and then
1: went to record right afterwards. So, right. yeah, I mean, one of our most popular shows, we didn't even go inside <laughs> Crepercy Park. We couldn't get in. We tried. We talked to them. Yeah. You can go into Gramercy Park on Christmas Eve once a year, just and you should do it. And of course, if you live in Gramercy Park, you can just go in whenever you'd like <laughs> and listen to a show that we recorded not getting into the park. <laughs>
0: right. But if I do recall, one of the days when I was doing research around it, I was watching tourists look in through the, the fence there. And remember, I think I said this in the show, you can get in. Sometimes people will let you in, but don't forget... You need a key to get out of Gramercy Park, too. So if you don't have keys to Gramercy Park and you're able to get in, you're still stuck. Unless you have a
1: rope ladder or a jetpack. Now, it would behoove us at this particular point, as we're almost here to wrap it up, we should mention our most enduring annual tradition, which is our ghost story shows. Right. uh, Which we have told about all manner of specters all through the years. A spectrum of specters. A spectrum of specters. Tom, which of our many ghost stories uh, that you yourself told is Mm. one of your particular favorites? Uh, well, there was the one
0: that happened above the vacuum store on Fourteenth oh, Street. Oh, that you one's know. good
1: with the with the ghost with like no face and like shrunk. Yeah, like, and I think a lot it smaller and smaller. Touches somebody's
0: arm in bed or something like oh. that. No, but the the one my favorite episode, and I can't even tell you which year this was. Maybe three years ago, when we experimented with a different take on the ghost stories, we told supernatural
1: tales. Uh, oh, yeah. and, oh And yes. spoke at length about Houdini and the lives of magicians. I would like to actually go back to that because what's interesting is that is actual history. Like these ghost stories, they're like legends that take place around historic spots. But that was this era where people believed in Ouija boards, believed in seances, believed in, in ESP. Yes. And that there were these people like Harry Houdini who fought against or tried to debunk much of that and but in this very showy very dramatic way I mean it remains a fascinating subject to me personally actually. I love the idea of hunching over at a seance in a, like a, a dining room in a parlor oh, of yeah. like an 1880s mansion right. maybe rapping on the table. <laughs> and finally just to review a little bit of what we did last year, 2015 covering everything from St. Mark's Place to the Flatiron, neighborhoods from Hell's Kitchen to, to Park Slope to the Lower East Side. And we also
0: told some stories of intrigue. Uh, we told about Nellie Bly going undercover. We told... Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. And, of course, the murder of Stanford White, which, Greg, I have to say, I think that that was my favorite episode of 2015.
1: Uh, I think it was a lot of people's favorite episode, actually.
0: Only because in telling the story of Stanford White, who was probably New York's greatest architect, and along with his firm, McKim, Mead, and White, designed so many of New York's most important structures, including the original Penn Station that was demolished in the 1960s, too many mansions for millionaires to even (laughs) list, and of course, the second iteration of Madison Square Garden, which was located on the northwest corner of Madison Square, this unbelievable moment in turn-of-the-century New York when you had this architect who was famous. He was world-famous and recognized. He was everywhere around town because he had also, by the way, designed the Washington Square Arch. Everybody knew him, and he was, you know, he was larger than life. And to think that he was leading this double life, right? He had his wife and family back in Long Island at the family compound. And meanwhile, in the city, he had other things going on and how that second life would catch up with him and ultimately lead to his demise and his murder on the very roof of the structure that he had designed, Madison Square Garden.
1: Well, it's intriguing because it's a story about not one crime, really, but two, right? There's not only the murder, but then there's the more fraught and criminal relationship between Stanford White and Evelyn Nesbitt. And that, Greg,
0: brings us to now, brings us to... Episode 200.
1: To review, episode 100 was on Robert Moses. was on Robert Moses, the influential and powerful parks commissioner who not only developed dozens of parks in New York City, but defined New York City in the mid-20th century, mostly with the creation of highways and these massive building projects. Not to mention, of course, bridges like the Triborough Bridge. Which was his cash register, basically, for funding all these other projects.
0: But he was not successful in carrying out every project that he dreamed up. So many of his projects, especially these highways, were so destructive to neighborhoods, right? At the same time, they helped New Yorkers get around and facilitated uh, the, the use of automobiles in the cities, which was so necessary. But he was not successful in each of his endeavors, and that was because, largely, of some community opposition.
1: So we thought, as a companion to our episode 100, that we would look at the other side of the coin, essentially, Mm -hmm. during this period, and look at the leading voice, the leading person in the drive to saving Many of these New York neighborhoods, neighborhoods that were under threat of these huge plans by Robert Moses. So, in two weeks, you will get episode 200 on Jane Jacobs.
0: We can't wait to spend a little bit more time with Jane and her lasting legacy and gifts to New York. So, we'll have all of that and more in just a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for indulging us in this past
1: uh, 45 minutes or so. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too self-congratulatory, but I thought we, we kind of needed to take a big inhale mm-hmm. before you know, going on the next phase of this Bowery Boys journey. It's, it's so. okay to
0: be reflective, right? Yes, yes. If you're a new listener, we hope that we've given you some ideas of recommended shows from the back catalog where you can hear more about New York's fascinating story.
1: And if you're a long-time or seasoned listener, uh, we hope that uh, we brought up some memories of shows that you may have enjoyed in the past and may want to revisit. So thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon.